Hi, Chris Ballatin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to transform the world within you and transform the world around you. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Ballatin. Welcome to Cultural Catalyst, where you learn how to live fully live, co-labor with God, and change the world. And today I want to introduce my good friend, Dr. Michael Brown. Hey, thank you so much for being on. Dr. Brown is an American radio host, an author, an apologist, and, and a fantastic preacher. So thank you so much for being on. I'm excited to have you. I, I've actually wanted you on for so long. And I, I have oh, a, here we are. I have an audience here that has never even heard of you. So I'm like, how do you know Jesus and you don't know Michael Brown? It's like so exciting. Hey, we're living in the most in the most fatherless generation in the history of the world in which our fathers are alive, but they're not home. So I'd like to talk to you about the importance of fatherhood. And first of all, why do you think we're, why do you think we're living in such a fatherless generation while our fathers are alive? You know, the, 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 uh, you know, over 51% of American children now are born out of wedlock. What do you see the trend and how do we get it turned around? That's what we want to talk about today. Yes. So first, uh, the role of the father is super important. We know it starting with the fact that God has revealed himself as father. Yes. And that we pray to our heavenly father. Even though we can talk to Jesus directly and commune with the Holy Spirit, there's something about praying to God as father that's important. And that role, when taken out, brings incredible instability. Obviously, if you take the mother out, that brings its own instability. Yes. But in most cases, the child is going to be raised by a mother or around the mother. So we have a bunch of things that have happened. We have the, the massive increase in divorce, no-fault divorce in particular. That split up so many families and separated kids from fathers. Then you have just the fatherlessness, the so many kids born out of wedlock, as, as you mentioned, uh, irresponsible fathers that are there to have sex or have a relationship, but not there to raise a child. And then absentee fathers. I I think we are so stretched and so pulled in so many different directions and so distracted that often the thing that matters most, our relationship with God, our relationship with our spouse, if we're married, then our relationship with our children gets pulled away. and, And we can be present without ever being there, but it shapes our whole lives. I mean, it can be overcome for those that are listening that are in fatherless homes or single parent homes. These things can be overcome, but often there are great obstacles. And it's interesting that many of the most famous atheists, when you read their literature and look into their background, you found out they were either abandoned by a father or had an angry, vicious father or a very weak father. And that shaped them. And somehow it created this void where they now looked at God as not being there the same way. But in so many ways, we know from crime rates, we know from all kinds of things, prison population. It's it is one of the great, great issues and crises of our day here in America. Michael, in 1954, percent of all children were born out of wedlock. And that's probably an exaggeration. Fifty one percent is is 2017 statistics it's probably been worse than that what do you think has happened in culture that's creating this whole 50 year 60 70 year journey of fatherlessness all right so let's look at the bigger picture the counterculture revolution of the 60s psychologist david meyer said that if you fell asleep in the year 1960 and woke up in the year 2000 
you'd wake up to the divorce rate double, teen suicide up three times, reported violent crime up four times, prison population up five times, children born out of wedlock up six times, people living together out of wedlock up seven times. It, it was not just a time of, of rebellion. There were good things that happened in the 60s, civil rights movement and some yeah. movement for equality for women. But for the most part, it was rebellion, and it was rebellion against God and his ways is, is what came out. So from the radical feminists to the pro-abortion movement to the sexual revolution to gay liberation, even to what has now become an attack on the fundamentals of God made us male and female, these most fundamental things, the institution of marriage was considered to be an, an oppressive uh, uh, antique of, of the patriarchy that should be discarded. And even the very uh, idea of gender roles, the idea of a stay-at-home mom that was now somehow degraded, the ongoing emasculating of men. If you look, Chris, you and I are similar ages. Yeah, Remember growing yeah. up, father knows best. Yeah, yeah. Harriet, Andy Griffith, the father wise, the father holding the family together, stable, and all that. As the years went on, the decades went on, the father became a jerk. Yeah, the father yeah, became yeah. an object of ridicule. So just a bunch of things flowing in together have created this perfect storm. And it's one that keeps repeating itself because without fathers in the home, then you, now you're going to have more fatherless kids. Those fatherless kids are not going to repeat the bad habits. They too will become fatherless. Yeah, yeah. And then you have, say, the breakdown where you end up now in prison. So you, you can go to some inner cities in America and older men are hardly present at all because so many have died and so many are in prison. And I'm, I'm not blaming them. It's a crisis, whatever it caused it yeah, to come yeah. about. It's, it's ours to, to work on and heal together, but it, it can't be denied. And you know what's interesting? When I got saved, uh, so raised in a Jewish home, mom and dad happily married, my dad the senior lawyer in the New York Supreme Court, uh, I got saved. My dad wasn't happy with me believing in Jesus, but was thrilled I was off drugs and all of this. And so I go on with my relationship with God, praying hours every day in the word, hours every day, memorizing 20 verses a day, full of zeal. If I fall short, boy, I know God's instant forgiveness. His mercy is there. I had no problem receiving forgiveness. I blow it. I do something stupid. I receive forgiveness. Well, I didn't realize that a lot of that was inbred in me because my father was so forgiving. You know, Chris, the worst thing I did before I was saved with all the drugs and rebellion and junk was I stole money from my own father. I did it a few times once when I, when I realized he knew I was doing it. I made believe people broke into the house. I tried to stage it and, and, and I didn't even need the money. It was to help friends out. Well, I, I knew he knew and he cracked down, you know, can't have friends over and all this. So now I'm saved. I'm a new believer. And my dad sits me down one night and he says, Michael, did you steal that money? That's my dad. I mean, I, how could I tell him I did? So I lie. I said, no, no, I didn't. Uh, and I said, I, I, I'm going to go upstairs. I went to my bedroom. I got on my knees to pray, overwhelmed with con conviction. I mean, oh, I literally, I was doubled over with conviction. I said, God, I'm sorry. I confess. I repent. And then it lifted. I thought, oh, maybe I don't have to tell my dad that, oh, and then it hit again. <laughs> I went downstairs. He was still at the kitchen table. And I said, dad, I stole the money. This is what my unsafe father said to me. He said, Michael, the moment I saw the money missing, I knew you stole it and I had already forgiven you. He said, what hurt me was you had a need and you didn't reach out to me. This is my earthly Jewish father. And I realized that that was something now 
of course God is good. Of course God is forgiving. Of course the Father is loving. But what if I had an opposite thing? What if my dad was, was drunken and when I came home, I didn't know if he was going to hug me or slug me? What do I think about God now? Or what if he abandoned us? Or what if he died young and I never knew him? How would I relate to God? These things make an impact. And, and I'm just talking about the spiritual end. The cultural end is overwhelmingly spoken of statistically. Michael, this is, it take, it's taken us 50, 60 years to get here. And as you pointed out, it's become an ecosystem which perpetuates itself. How do you see this turning around? I know that you are a, you are a cultural catalyst. You are a cultural architect. You study culture. You spend hours every day talking to people that are directing culture and, and are catalytic to culture. How do we see this turned around? So a, a bunch of things. Obviously, within the church, we have to recover the fatherhood of God. Let's start with us. So we need to understand who he is in, in all of his nature, not just his goodness and mercy, his, his holiness, his standards. We, we need to know him, but have that relationship where we are secure in the Father's love. Secondly, within the body, so let's, let's start in the house of God. We need to do our best to disciple and raise up godly men. We need to do our best to set examples we need to do our best to show what it means for a husband to love his, his wife as himself, to live sacrificially for her, to be there for the kids. In all of our weakness, in all of our imperfection, in all of our struggles, we, we need to, to model that as much as we can, not just talk about it, but model it. When, when young men are getting saved, we're coming, coming out of rough backgrounds, we need to be there to have an environment to show them the way. And then we have to look holistically at the neediest parts of our country, those that are hurting the most, those who've had the most against them, the most to, to overcome. You know, we push back against the cultural Marxism that tries to guarantee equal outcomes for everyone. Yes, that, yes. that can't be done, that's yeah, not realistic. Yeah. But for sure, we should do our best to, to have equal opportunities that we don't want someone born with two strikes against them out of the womb because of the family environment. So it's going to mean that we now do practical outreach, that maybe if we have more resources, we put our arms around communities that are in poorer areas and start to get to the kids. If there's not a dad there, can we be big brothers? Can we set examples? Can we, because you gotta fix the family. You can't do it in the current structure. We have to support our marriages. We know that marriages can break up. We know that people can leave and abandon and, and, and betray apart. And we understand those tragedies touch all of us. Uh, with people that we love, but what can we do to, to get, maybe get in schools, if schools open doors and, and to really disciple people? Obviously there's much to be done for men and women, but just focusing on men. If there isn't a father figure there, what can we do to connect kids to father figures? How many times do we hear it? Maybe an athlete speaking or someone else. And they talk about the influence that this, the coach, the influence that he had yes, in their life, yes. or this guy who was like a big brother in the community. So we need to do that until we can build up more and more healthy marriages, and then we have a healthy ecosystem that's reproducing in the right way. That's really beautiful. You know, one of my favorite athletes is LeBron James, uh, who has never met his father, his earthly father, but he cites his coach. So the story is that when he was like 10 years old, a baseball coach took interest in him, and his mother was, uh, how, he was couch surfing. 
And he, so during the season, he had LeBron live with him. And at the end of the season, he said to the coach said to his mother, this kid should be playing basketball. This kid is this kid's a basketball player. And I know a coach that would probably love to coach him. Anyway, short story is he talks to that coach. That coach takes him in. He lives with that coach into his to his adulthood and cites him as the man who changed his life. So I think what you're saying is so powerful because in a, you know in a fatherless culture there are still it still takes a village and often it's a coach it's a teacher you know it's a it's a pastor it's a youth pastor somebody connects with your kids and I was going to say that one of the most profound things I've seen a mom can do is to actually connect her boys and her girls to to coaches to to pastors to people who can can step in to men who can step in and be that kind of surrogate father to to generation. What do you think the LGBTQ movement has done to culture? I know that you you're 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 a, a very much an expert in that field. How do you think that's affected culture? Because I know that's a that's a big piece of it. Yeah, obviously, I, I need to give a focused answer be, because due to God laying this on my heart in two thousand four. It's been something I've, I've been looking at, praying for people and looking at the issues for almost 20 years now. And we could speak for hours, weeks, months uh, on these issues. But to focus in, in, in 2004, God began to speak to me about helping to turn back the tide of gay activism in America. It wasn't so much the T, the LGBT, but, but more gay lesbian activism. And, and, and then I knew, I, the moment I began to look at this, I saw immediately that this was already the principal threat to freedom of religion, speech, and conscience in America. Uh, it was very clear in 2004, and many had seen that many years before me. At the same time, I knew that, this, that the, the agenda was only part of the issue. The other thing was the people. There were people that God loved for whom Jesus died that needed the gospel. And God spoke to me, one of the clearest words I ever heard, reach out and resist. Reach out to the people with compassion Resist the agenda with courage. So anyone that's watching this should understand my heart is for everyone to know the fullness of God's love. Yes, yes, and to emphasize that Jesus shed the same blood for gay and straight alike. And that, that all of us have issues in our own lives that need mercy. We're creating God's image and fallen. So I want to say that clearly. The agenda is where I have an issue. So once you redefine marriage, once you say that male plus male is equal to male plus female, or female plus female is equal to male plus female. Think of the best-selling Mars and Venus books, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Yeah, when yeah. you say Mars plus Mars, or Venus plus Venus equals Mars plus Venus, now you fundamentally distort those distinctives. You say that there, there is no distinct role that only the man can play or only the woman can play. Look, the world's best mother is still not a father. The world's best father is still not a mother. There are distinctive things in who we are and what God put in us. So once, once you begin to do that, you further break down marriage. So no-fault heterosexual divorce breaks down marriage. The redefining of roles so that everything is now equal. You now lose the distinctives of male and female. He created them. But there is a trajectory. I've been warning about this for ages and ages. I can, I can point to things, not, not because I was so prophetic, but because the people said, we're going to do this. And you could see the trajectory which, where it was going to lead. 
Now there is a fundamental assault, even on the idea of the reality of biological sex, yep, yep. that sex is whatever you perceive it to be. And, and we have absolute cultural madness with the current administration aggressively pushing for the chemical castration and general mutilation of children, irreversible stuff, pushing for this. You have legislators saying, we want to take the children away from the parents if the parents want to affirm it. You have a state where you happen to live that says we will be a sanctuary. 16-year-old kid here wants sex change surgery or hormones. The parents will give it. You get here. We'll protect you from your parents. It's absolute madness. You have the secretary, the assistant secretary of health and human services is a man who identifies as a woman. It, it goes on and on. This is the madness that we're living in. This very assault on little children, I can document it from preschool on. I mean, we documented it years ago. Now people are finding out about it from preschool on, where you question your gender identity, where all sexual orientations and desires are somehow equal. I, I was teaching at one of the ministry schools where I teach once a month, and afterwards uh, uh, had a line of, of students. I did Q&A. When I ran out of time, they came to talk to me afterwards. One man says to me, pray for my daughter. She was raised in church. She's 23 years old now. She's already had a full mastectomy. She's on hormones. She identifies as a boy. This, this is his daughter, the girl he raised. Another girl comes up to me, 18 years old. She said, I've been out of this for a year now. She said, I was gender fluid and omnisexual. So she go back from male to female or other identities, omnisexual. So anything, any person, whatever, that was fine. And she said, and I was polyamorous. So in a relationship, living together with with a couple different people or more, I'm thinking she's 18. She never would have dreamt of being gender fluid or omnisexual without the bombardment and indoctrination of society. So you were talking about the most fundamental assault and the most fundamental aspect of creation, namely that the pinnacle of creation, human beings, God made us male and female. When that's under assault, what's going to happen to being a father? What's going to happen to being a mother? What's going to happen to a child's own identity? It, it is a a massive crisis happening in front of our eyes. There is massive medical malpractice being, being practiced right in front of our eyes. It's happening on our watch. You've got folks right within your, your movement that are speaking up and speaking out. And the larger thing is this, because gay activism has been so effective, because the propaganda of which they explicitly spoke in writing in the late 1980s, how they were going to change everything, because they have implemented that so well. And because most of us, nobody, a friend, a relative who identifies as gay, lesbian, and they seem to be nice people. So if gay is good, Christianity is bad. The Bible is bad. We're a bunch of haters. So our whole gospel message is being rejected because of this. Yeah, toxic masculinity and so on and so forth. Well, this is a, we are in the cultural war of cultural wars, and that's why I wanted to have you on because you uh, have spoken in this even in my life for the last fifteen years. That uh, you know, now we're you know heading towards pedophilia as being legal. We're dropping the age of uh, consent for for children into the early teens, and it'll keep dropping unless we stand up as fathers. And as 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 not just believers, but as people who, you know, you don't you don't have to be a believer in God to look at the insanity. I mean, you just have to be. You could you just believe in biology and science, and you you've got an argument right there, right? You don't have to crack the Bible to know this is this is crazy, right? 
And uh, yeah, I, I, I believe that there's on the rise another kind of like a promise keepers. Malachi 4 has been a chapter uh, uh, prophecy. We call it the Malachi mandate at Bethel where, you know, Malachi prophesies in the last days, I'm going to send Elijah the prophet, and he's going to restore the hearts of fathers to sons and daughters and hearts of sons and daughters to fathers. And I, I think that we need a miracle in culture to actually shift this cultural, um, this, this cultural craziness over the next 20, 30 years. What do you think? Yeah, it, it has to be, and it has to be a long-term vision. Look, there are various eschatological beliefs and end-time beliefs. The one thing we know is any of us could die at any moment. So we should always be ready yep, to meet yep. the Lord. But otherwise, we have to think in multi-generational terms. Look, my, my dream, Chris, is to finish my race and hand the baton to Jesus as he returns, that, that we see the Great Commission fulfilled, we see Israel saved, we see the healthy church, you know, all the things we're looking for. And it's the well-done, good and faithful servant, that's it. But if that doesn't happen, I'm running with all my might and handing the baton to the next generation, and then it may be another and another and another. God, God knows. Either way, we have our race to run now. But see, when I came to faith in 1971 as a heroin shooting, LSD using hippie uh, rock drummer, you know uh, how Lindsay's book, Late Great Planet Earth, it was yeah, all the yeah. rave. Jerusalem back in Jewish hands. It's up. The time's over. The final apostasy is here. We're, Jesus is coming any minute. I remember the first Sunday when we shifted the clocks and, and I, I had my time wrong and I showed up an hour early and there was nobody there. I thought, oh no, I missed the rapture. <laughs> yep, I yep. mean, that's how we live, right? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Thinking, I got saved at the same time. We're not thinking long-term. No. Look, no. I was 16. Our, our youngest granddaughter is just turning 16. You know, our oldest is 21. We weren't expecting to be here as grandparents or any of this, but the gay activists, they made long-term plans. The radical feminists, the sexual nihilists, the the you know whoever it is, all these reviews, they just did what human beings do. They they planned and tried to fix the world the way they thought it should be fixed or mold it in their way. So this escapist mentality, we're out of here any minute, is totally destructive. We have this cannot be fixed in a day. Look, even if the greatest revival in America's history spread through the entire nation for one intense year with massive numbers of people saved and backsliders coming back, that just sets the stage for us to do the hard work of retraining and reforming and relearning and, and seeing what, what we got wrong and what we did wrong as, as well. But I, I want to give this encouragement. So obviously what's written is written, and that's our ultimate encouragement that God is God and that light ultimately triumphs over darkness. Yes, what our, what yes. our eschatology is, yes, we yes. know that. The kingdom will be established. Jesus will be exalted. The purposes of God will come to pass. But in, in 1983, in a, a very challenging, intense time in my life, the Holy Spirit spoke to me that, that I would serve in a revival that would touch the entire world. I knew it. I couldn't shake it. And then, of course, God called me to serve in the midst of the Brownsville revival. And we saw the glory of what God did and the millions of people so touched amazing. around the world through it for over 130 nations. Uh, you had told me years later that you had visited, looked at our, our school, yeah, and that yeah. became part of a template of yours. Of course, yours has outlasted ours by many times and put many thousand more students through. But God fulfilled it in the late 90s, in the midst of Brownsville, where you could believe for anything because you're seeing impossible things every night. God began to speak to me that as surely as there was a civil rights movement in America, there will be a gospel-based moral and cultural revolution. 
and that I'll get to be right in the thick of it. So I've been knowing that. I've been sensing that. That's part of why I'm on radio every day. It's part of why I write what I write. So I, as dark as things get, I, I knew this was coming. I mean, we wrote it. We said it. This was inevitable. That's the bad news. The good news is even non-Christians are waking up. When you see drag queens reading to toddlers in a library wearing Satan horns and shaking their hips, when you see them performing indecent acts with children in a gay bar, even someone who doesn't believe the Bible says something's wrong here. Yeah, something's yeah. wrong here. When you're doing mastectomies on, on impressionable 14-year-old girls struggling with autism and emotional development, and you're doing that because they're sure they're trapped in the wrong body, so, some adult in the room has to stand up, and they are. Even the whole cancel culture, the absurdity of that. You know, I've got books like Silencing of the Lambs. I quote people like Bill Maher. Yeah. <laughs> speaking out against I've been listening, listening to Bill Maher. <laughs> yeah, so the bad news is we're, we're really in a bad part, and many, many people have really been hurt. Many, many lives have been destroyed. The, the good news is that things are changing. There is, there is a shift that this, this gospel-based moral and cultural revolution, it is rising. And as long as we keep gospel first, culture politics second, right? gospel first and let everything flow out of that yes kingdom yes. values first the things flow out of that uh, as surely as you and i are talking i am convinced that there is going to be a pushback i'm not expecting america to become a perfect christian nation before jesus returns but i believe just like a tug of war you know and it, it's gone this way i i believe this we are in the midst of a pullback in the other direction and if we can keep our bearings and show a better way and then for me the great the great challenge for decades is always be be focused where you are now. Dad's listening. If you can learn this, if we can be present in this moment as we're needed, we're going to see things, Chris, that we've dreamed about for years. As surely as we're sitting here, I know it. That is beautiful. Before we end, could you pray? Could you pray for our audience that will be watching? Please. Father, I ask you to awaken us. Yes, yes. Lord. Lord, show us how dark the darkness is. Show us how evil the evil is. And then give us your heart of love mm -hmm. and compassion for those who are lost, for those who oppose us, for those who fight against us. Give us your heart that they may be those who turn to love you and stand for you in the days ahead. Lord, give us courage. Give us backbone. Give us spine. May we have hearts of compassion and backbones of steel and light a fresh fire in us, Lord, that we would return to first love if we've yes, lost Lord. it, that we would yes, go Lord. back to majoring on the majors, that you would revive us so we could bring awakening to the nation, shake everything that can be shaken, that your kingdom may arise and shine and lives will be transformed and that we could see as impossible as it seems that we could see America's greatest days still ahead for your honor and glory. We ask it in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Dr. Brown, Dr. Brown, I love you so much. I'm so glad we became many years ago, became friends. I think we can get in touch with you by watching, uh, by www.ask.com. Dr. Dr. Brown doc, org. Is that correct? Yep. ASKDRBrown.org. AskDrBrown.org. And we've just finally gotten our app out on Apple after years of resistance. <laughs> ASKDR Brown, Ask Dr. Brown Ministries on Apple or Ask Dr. Brown Ministries on Android or 
askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. We've got thousands of hours of free resources waiting for you. And you, do you have a daily radio show? Five days a week, the line of fire, one hour a day. That's what I did shortly before this. And if folks get the app or go to the website right there, they can, they can click to listen live. And we're on different radio stations in the country as well. It's been an incredible honor to have you. It's been my dream for more than a year to have you on. Thank you for taking the time. Thanks for the sacrifice today. I, I didn't understand what was going on today, but thank you for the sacrifice. And I hope you have a wonderful uh, retreat with Jesus this week. Thanks, Chris. And hey, man, don't wait a year to ask me again. I'm here for you, all right? Got it. We'll do it again. God bless you. God bless. Bye, Dr. Brown. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. To stay connected, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter at chrisvalentin.com forward slash subscribe. God bless you.